I have this awesome project and I want you to work on it and I will give you 20% of the company. Hey everybody and welcome to episode two of the Ruby Freelancers show. This is your host Charles Maxwood and this week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hey. We also have Evan Light. Oh. And finally we have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? So this week we're going to be talking about, like we said last week, uh, about keeping the pipeline full. We, I, I think we all kind of approach this a little bit differently. I know, I know Eric kind of gets a lot of uh, business <sighs> off of uh, Chili Project slash Redmine. And so that, that's kind of an interesting draw. Just because, you know, it's from an open source project instead of putting yourself out there on a podcast. Um, Do you want to talk about how that works, Eric? Sure. I mean, it's not really, there's nothing really complex to it. A lot of people, I think, overthink it. It's just the idea of, I got started working in a project. It was a fairly visible project, did a good work in it, um, and basically said, like, you know, I'm available if people want uh, Ruby or Rails consulting. And then slowly over time, people started coming to me saying, hey, we want you to do some Redmine stuff for us. Because, I mean, it's in it's in Rails, so it doesn't matter. And then um, over time, I just started taking more and more of that work. And I think about a year ago, I basically moved over and I'm only doing work for Redmine or Chili Project code. Um, and I mean, there's a, I know a couple of the people who have done it in the Ruby community, but it's just the idea of like, you know, you're doing good work, you're putting it in your portfolio, and since it's open source, people talk about it a bit more than if it's like a, a private project. And, you know, just kind of the basic promotion for business. And, you know, big thing for me, I have a contact form on my webpage, and, I, you know, every week I get a couple people emailing me asking if, you know, I'm available to do work for them. So it's it's pretty simple. It looks kind of complex because I've been doing it for what three years now. But I mean, I've I've can point out probably a couple other projects people can step in and do something similar. So what's your website? Because I want to look at the contact form real quick. It occurs to me I should have one on my site and I don't. Yeah. So it's Little Stream Software, all one word spelled just how it would sound. Um, there should be like a contact thing bar on the top. So it's you know it's a pretty visible link. And I think that's like my second or third most popular page other than the homepage. Uh-huh. And honestly, I'm just using, I'm using WordPress on the site, but that form's just a woofoo form. It's basically like, uh, like it was like name, subject, body, and then it has like a little category thing on there. But it's just a way for someone to, you know, look at my site, be like, oh, this guy looks like he knows what he's doing. I'm going to send him an email. But instead of having someone open their email client, they just type in this form. And it used to send me an email and also send me a, a text message. But now I just have it send me an email and then I reply to him and manage the project just like that. Awesome. Cool. That's a, that's a cool tip too. So, um, I think that's really interesting that, you know, you can get involved in an open source project and then wind up getting paid to support it. Do you have any suggestions for people who might want to kind of pursue that course or, you know, get involved in a different open source project that maybe they haven't worked in, but they're familiar with the technology it's built on? Sure. So, I mean, first thing, you got to find something you're going to enjoy doing. Like I've, I've always worked or messed around with bug trackers. Uh, I mean, ever since I've been doing software, I've been screwing around with them. So doing a project management system that had a you know pretty high class bug tracker was like you know a, a perfect niche for me and since it's a project management system it's kind of businesses will use it versus it's versus like say a game where it's not like it's a consumer level thing uh-huh. so any kind of 
business app would work good. Um, you can do libraries. I think, I can't remember the guy's name, but he does, um, I think it's Thinking Sphinx, like the search engine kind of right. thing for Rails. Um, he did some similar though. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, a lot of a lot of apps need search. And so it's kind of a, a good underlying library. You know, you can pick this out. Like you can go through any of the SaaS things you might subscribe to just as a freelancer. Pick out like, okay, this is project management. This is invoicing. And see if there's an open source project out there or if you'd be interested in starting one. And that's, you know, a good way to kind of get some good visibility. Cool. I like it. What, what other ways do you guys find leads? Let me jump on the end of Eric's uh, response. So a couple other projects that are big right now. I mean, if you want specific names for projects that are big right now, I mean, Redmine Chili Project is still pretty big. I don't know if it's the biggest open source Rails app that there is, but it's pretty close probably. But uh, Refinery is another good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really popular right now. And Fat-Free CRM, uh, though it's getting a name change, yeah. but it's been upgraded to, to Rails 3 something a while ago. I think right around that time it came out. And that's still a fairly decent uh, open source project. I've gotten a bit of work customizing fad-free CRM, so that's another one people could look at. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's a there's a company out here called Instructure, and they have a, um, a replacement for Blackboard, if you use that at any uh, educational institutions. And uh, Blackboard's actually really painful to use, but um, one thing that, that worked out there was that uh, they open-sourced their solution. They haven't open-sourced everything, obviously, but uh, I've gotten quite a bit of work supporting that um, just because I'm willing to jump in and I, I know Rails and know how to deploy it. So yeah, it it, it definitely uh, pays off to, uh, to to get involved in some of these open source projects and make them work. So what, what other ways do you guys find leads or clients? Well, I can repeat myself a little from I think the end of the last podcast, so I'll keep it short. Um, speaking at conferences and running Ruby Decamp, uh, we, Eric pointed out, and I completely agree that I'm not reach. I'm usually not reaching um, potential clients. What I'm doing is I'm I'm reaching second, I guess, in uh, secondhand relationships. I'm I'm talking to other developers. Um, but what I found is that by having a presence in the community, people will occasionally send work my way, and it's usually pretty decent work. So um, that's pretty much how I've gotten most of my work. That and, and uh, well, pretty much just knowing people. Uh, in my case, though, I'm a bit of an extrovert. I, uh, I've been kind of quiet on this particular podcast, not on the first one. Um, I have a tendency to love talking to other nerds, and so that just means it's easy for me to, to get to know lots of folks. Yeah, that's, that's another thing that I've noticed um, with the community things like uh, there's a users group out here, which I, I, it's not a conference, I guess, but you know, it's the same kind of thing where you're making those connections and um, with other developers and uh, the guy that runs the users group in Salt Lake, um, he works for a consulting company that's part of the Larry H. Miller group, which is a huge business entity out here in the Salt Lake area. And um, they it turned out that they had uh, somebody come to them that needed some freelance work done. Uh, and, uh, you know, their consultants are all booked up solid. So they started looking around for another freelancer. And, you know, they're telling me, of course, we're going to try and recruit you. And I'm telling them, you can try because um, I love freelancing. But anyway, um, it just worked out because uh, he was like, well, this guy's a freelancer, so go talk to him. And so, um, 
you know, I just got a referral that way. And, uh, you know, it does work out sometimes where you've made connections with another coder or made connections with another geek and uh, somebody comes to them and says, hey, I need I need help. And they're like, look, I can't do it for you. I don't have time. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have whatever. Um, but but there's this guy that can do it for you. I think uh, what I found to be especially beneficial is that I, I guess I know a bunch of people who run boutique consultancies and the in a lot of these consultancies they have a minimum size project because they have to support you know, multiple people they they want to keep their pipeline full they want to have projects that uh, that ex extend at least a certain amount of time and cost a certain amount of bucks and i'm much smaller i don't have those constraints because i'm just me so when they so there are some of these consultancies that i know that when they have a project that's too small they just say well hey we know this guy and he's pretty smart or at least he seems like he is and um, we can send and we can uh, we can't help you out but he probably can so i can end up getting a lot of referrals that way too yeah and and that that makes a lot of sense too and it's funny cuz uh, when you're talking about it you know another light bulb goes off and you know, I actually know a lot of the consultancies out here that do that kind of stuff, and I really should reach out to them and say, "Hey, look, you know, if if there are any little fish that come your way, you know, I'm I'm happy to snap them up." Yeah, it's a huge win-win actually because it means that because I, I don't know about you, but I I really don't enjoy turning clients away. I really don't enjoy telling people I can't help them, right. and and these and these other consultancies i think they feel basically the same way so they so they have the benefit of saying well we can't help you but we know someone else who probably can right well and it makes sense too because they're providing a solution it's not it's not the we're going to code it up for you solution it's the this this other guy can do that for you but it's still they're providing a solution they you know they they can maintain that relationship with with the client and then if some something bigger comes around then you know then they can get the referral, and if it's if it's another small project, then you may pick it up. But otherwise, you know, they they can snap that up too. So they they do get to maintain that that, that potentially, positive, yeah. Potentially, I, I found at least some of these organizations they just tend to hand the relationship off entirely. Yeah, um, which is which isn't necessarily a bad thing either, because I mean, if you know other, one of the other benefits of knowing other developers or potential benefits is if uh, something bigger comes down the pipeline, well, then you can gather together as kind of a team or a a co-op and, and work on a project jointly. Yep, yeah. But I guess what I was trying to say is either way, it's a positive experience with the bigger consultancy. So, um, Are there any other ways that you guys tend to find leads? Um, another one when I got started was subcontracting. So kind of like what Evan's saying, you know, talking with other devs and people like that, and they would, you know, one of the devs might have a project that would need, say, three developers or whatever for a month and a half. And, you know, they're also a solo solo developer so they pull in other people and I think for the first year maybe year and a half probably half of my projects were like subcontracting style where I was working under another person and it worked really good it's a good way to get experience and then later on I you know I had this network of all these people I worked with and all these good results and it was easier to get like in clients so not a subcontracting agreement but an actual working with the client directly um other than that, I mean, I've been pretty lucky. Like, I've been writing and blogging a lot, and I have some products, but those typically don't bring me that many leads compared to, you know, the open source stuff at all. Right. It's it's funny that you bring up blogging and stuff because um, I host Ruby Rogues, and I, I, you know, I'm hosting this podcast and the JavaScript Jabber podcast, 
And, um, you know, I, almost all of my leads come from not blogging, but podcasting, which is kind of akin to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to me how, you know, you can sit down and you can talk with a bunch of, a bunch of other guys about this stuff. You can kind of get a feel for where they're at and, uh, you know, or you can just talk about what you know and, people get excited and, and, you know, you're the expert and they, they come and they hire you. And, you know, that, that has really paid off for me. Um, in fact, I had a client, um, this last week who, or was it two weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago, but he basically said, look, um, you know, I've had a major, uh, deal go down with my business and I need to, I need to figure some stuff out before I can, um, you know, have you do any more work. And so, you know, uh, is it okay if we back off for a month or so while I, you know, I get everything in order? And, uh, you know, so my my time slowed down. And this week, you know, I've kind of been goofing off a little bit because, I, you know, I didn't have his project to work on. And I'd subcontracted most of my other work. And, um, yeah, it's funny because this week, I mean, a couple people got wind that I had some free time. And they're, like, all over filling that time for me. And uh, it, it really does come down to, hey, you know, you talk about this stuff. You sound like you know what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, the, with, with a large enough audience and, and enough... Um, attention enough people listening or reading or whatever you know you really can drive some some business off of that and it's relatively easy to get started i mean you you can set up a wordpress page in a half hour you know and and have all the bells and whistles in there and uh, start blogging and within a few months people will start coming to you oh you're the expert can you help me with this oh you obviously know about this thing that you've blogged about so you know can you help me take care of it and, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of the same thing with the conferences where you're talking to the geeks and not necessarily to the business people. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, it does pay off. And I just want to point out, too, that I have videos on teachmetocode.com. And that has actually drawn in the business folks because, you know, I had one client. He came to me and he basically said, I want a Twitter clone and I watched your video on it, you know. And so you can target some of that to the, the clients rather than to the geeks and, and make it work that way. Yeah, and I was going to say one thing, like the big thing to keep in mind is, especially if you're doing remote freelancing, you need to build up trust with, mm-hmm. you know, the potential clients. So in my case, like I do a lot of work in the community. Um, I have my code, like 90% of my code is open source and out there. So people can actually try out like what I do for free without even talking to me. And so by the time they actually contact me, they've built up this trust in me and they know I can deliver. You know, with you doing your podcast, like that's kind of the same thing. They hear you talk or, um, you know, doing the video, they see you know what you're doing and, you know, you're personable and all that. And they have a trust for you. And same for Evan, like, you know, if he's organizing a conference, he's bringing people together. They, you know, they can always see that trust and see that other developers put their trust in Evan. So it's, it really comes back to trust and kind of making, making the client comfortable. And most of the time, once they're comfortable, they'll contact you. And it's, it's a pretty simple process when you look at it like that. Um, the hard thing is some, just getting Can I get started. some coinage minted that says, in Evan we trust? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it'd be accepted at. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, though, the, I, I, I'm a little hesitant to rehash, but I think we talked a little bit about how this is all just forms of social proof in, in the last podcast. Um, you know, standing up in front of the audience gives you, maybe we didn't talk about this, you, you, the conference gives you a relationship with an audience. Um, doing a podcast, they can hear your voice rather than just re- read your words. So it, it's a matter of 
frankly, it's, it's, it's a matter of some degree intimacy that um, just seeing words on the other side of a screen is less intimate than hearing a voice is less intimate than, than seeing a person is less intimate than being in the same room as. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and ultimately, you, you are, yes, you're, you're, you're building up trust, you're forming bonds with people. And it's, it's not necessarily about just winning business. I mean, I, I talk at conferences because things piss me off and it gives me, some, it gives me a soapbox. <laughs> but it also uh, gives me an excuse to get out in front of people, which is good marketing, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's definitely that element to it, too. I mean, you know, Eric does the, the Redmine stuff because he really enjoys it. Right. And, you know, you speak at the conferences because you enjoy it. And I do the podcast because I really, I really enjoy doing it. And, you know, you, and you, you ask to be on a podcast and you ask, so I get to talk at more people. And, and you know, yeah. I like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really had to twist your arm, didn't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you, you do something that's natural to you. I, I've seen people go out and try to artificially generate this kind of thing by blogging or something that they're not good at or that they, you know, they really aren't into. And a lot of times you can really tell. And so you really do need to kind of figure out where your niche is and how you want to reach out to people. And which if is actually, which going, sorry, going back to, to last week again, um, the Get Clients Now book is really focuses on that. It helps you. Yeah, so this guy who wrote the book, he needs to be paying us right now um, because, <laughs> we're, because we're advertising it so much for him. But, but it really is a recipe book for, figuring, for helping you distill what it is that, that or what ways it would be comfortable and effective and maybe even enjoyable for you to market yourself. And those are always going to be the best ones. Yeah, the author. The author is technically a woman, C.J. Hayden. She lives okay. in. Okay, uh, so 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 she needs to to give send us some kind of a affiliation bonus. Or <laughs> yeah, but but it really is true, and you know, there's definitely more to it than just um, bringing the leads in. One other source that I wanted to talk about, and then maybe we can talk about how we handle things once people contact us, because I think that's also an important part of keeping the pipeline full. Um, but. Uh, where I found at least one client, uh, actually there are two sources. One is job boards, and um, Jeff actually has a, a, pro a product that uh, scours the job boards and figures out which ones are freelance and, and will let you know. And you you have like Ruby and JavaScript and iOS and a whole bunch of different ones that you can sign up for, don't you? Yeah, um, 17, 17 categories or so, and those are just the ones that, well, those are the ones that I'm aware of so somebody asked for c++ well it's because i haven't built like a natural language parser and had it figure out what the job categories are so i have to manually decide what the categories are and so yeah. I've, I've had a bunch designer is probably my biggest one uh designer copywriter uh the ruby rails stuff php django wordpress all that stuff but yeah i mean it's it's helpful i mean that was it, job words have always been a source of leads for me, uh, and it's, I mean, that classic scratch and itch. I shouldn't have to go to all these job boards, click right. on a link that was or wasn't visited, and then get ready to type in my email and see it autocomplete and know that I already typed, already sent something off to this dude. So I, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to speak uh, or play devil's advocate, although I do believe this. Um, Seth Godin, of, of all sources, uh, maybe a little dubious, really turned me off 
of job boards. And that's because I see job boards as what he would call a race to the bottom, that most of the people who want to hire off job boards usually are not looking for the, for the best people they can get. They're usually looking for the cheapest people they can get. Uh-huh. And and the and if we can if we compete on price, then well, we're going to be making those kinds of rates that Eric was talking about last week that are that are, are kind of laughable. Um, competing on price isn't effective. You compete on experience, on background, on 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 unique qualities, you know, things that that make you distinct. So that way, you're not really competing. You set yourself apart. Right. And yeah. I think that that that's an important thing to mention as far as marketing goes. Yeah, there, there definitely is some of that. Um, I have found that um, depending on the person who's posted the job, that you can convince them that they want you because of your experience as opposed to somebody else because of their lower rate. And in some cases, you can even explain to them, look, you know, if you get a guy that takes four times as long as, you know, as I do and you're paying him half the rate, you know, then... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna spend more getting it done, and uh, the maintenance costs in the long run are gonna be you know up there anyway. And so let's let's talk about that just a little bit more because you, you mentioned you know how do we fill the pipeline? Right. Um, it, as far as it, it sounds to me, that sounds like a lot of effort. Right. Um, and, and I'm gonna fall back on things I was saying last time. So I guess is is a quote unquote lazy programmer. You know, someone who's gonna gonna do what it takes to get the job done, but not gonna but gonna try to do it smartly. I don't want to have to 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 scrape and fight in order to you know to win every contract. What I really prefer is that people come to me and they're already interested in doing business with me and it's just a matter of working out the details. And that's how a lot of my contracts have been. So it's been very low effort and generally I have and apart from one lull in the past over two years, I really haven't had any problems that way. It's and so when it comes to talking, when it comes to closing a client, as it were, it's usually, well, let's just discuss rate. Let's discuss how soon I'm available. Let's just discuss how many, approximately how many hours a week you think you're going to need me and about how long you're going to need me for. And that's about it. It's just, you know, dotting I's and crossing T's. Yeah, I have to say that that's generally been the rule for me over the last year, at least. Cool. But when I first got started, it was, you know, I didn't know where to go. So I was looking at the job boards and, uh, you know, chased a few leads that way. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back to what Eric said earlier, though. I think subcontracting, subcontracting is an awesome way to start. That's what I did too. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other place that I have found that uh, works out—it doesn't work out very often, but it does work out on occasion. My first um, major contract, the one that lasted for about a year before um, before I finally just kind of fired him, um, was through a, a what are they called? A recruiter and. You know, and that and that worked out. You know, the the rate wasn't up where it is now, and things like that. But you know, when you're getting started, you know, you kind of reach out to everybody, and somebody referred me to that recruiter, and you know, it worked out that he had a he had somebody coming to him trying to find somebody to maintain their application. So, um, you know, it's another resource. But like I said, I've I've only had it work out once, and it's it's kind of a a fluke thing because I think most recruiters are trying to fill full time jobs. Yeah. But it's it's all I said you, but at the same time, we're talking about the state of, of our business right here, right now. But yeah. when business is poorer, then well, you reach out further. So I, I say you, but if business were were bad, then sure, I would take rate cuts. I would talk to whomever it is has work to offer. You know how as long as it's not working for the federal government ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I just just had, to, just had to get that in there. I'm sure Jeff will agree with me. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. 
So, so they send you the paycheck and something to slit your wrist with? <laughs> um, working with the federal government, yeah, and or a rope and or an explosive to blow myself straight to hell if neither of those two work. Yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> All right. So um, so people come to you, you know, and they say, hey, I, I want you to work on this project for me. What, what typically is the process for, you know, lining up the work and, and making sure that you know everything is going to work out because because i've had people come to me and they're like they're like i have this awesome project and i want you to work on it and i will give you 20 percent of the company <laughs> right well shoot that that's one of the easy ones if they start talking about equity stakes that usually means they don't want to pay you <laughs> and i think we've all gotten that one yeah yeah i, I usually tell them at that point that if i want to gamble i'll drive to vegas <laughs> but uh, yeah, equity stake or anybody that says I want something just like something else is always a huge red flag. Oh yeah, yeah. My, the, the only caveat there is that if they can give you, I want something like this, except for, and then they can give you a major, um, unique selling proposition that makes it different enough. Then yeah. Well, like if they have if they have a niche spin on on something, right? You know, niches are usually where the business is at. So, but even then. As far as taking an equity stake, the most important thing to remember is what that means is you're becoming an investor. So they need to sell you as an investor. And if you take that, then it's 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 not payment. You own part of that company. So you have to consider, is this something that you would actually put money in if it was just a matter of them asking you to give cash? Because in effect, that's what they are asking. Right. And but my answer is almost universally no. Yeah. Same here. So, so somebody comes to you and they say, we're, we're going to pay you, we'll pay you your rate, you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, so, so how do you start vetting them to make, make sure that things are going to work out? Curious to hear what everyone else has to say. So actually for me, I'm going to back it up a little bit. Typically it's someone comes to me and says, uh, we want X, you know, X is like an idea or, you know, process automation or something. Um, and typically they have kind of a, a couple sentences, maybe a paragraph, some might have more than that. And the right now, which is just because of the state I'm in, the very first thing I do is I try to figure out availability, like rough scope. Is this like, you know, could this be banged out in a week? Is this a month long project? Is this a six month full time size thing? Um, mostly because I have very little availability. And then at that same time, I also try to figure out like, are they on a deadline? Like, do they need this by end of February or something? If that's the case, then it's like, I, if those don't match up, I pretty much cut it off right away and say, look, I don't have availability for this. I can't help you. And then kind of what we talked about earlier, I actually have a list of people I refer people to. So I'll be like, you know, talk to one of these guys. They might have availability. Um, they can hit your deadline. So availability is kind of the first issue. Um, mm -hmm. After that, it's kind of price comes up, but I haven't had a lot of price resistance um, but I think that's mostly because I'm pretty much like one of the top providers in the niche I'm in. Um, the total cost comes up, but at the same time, doing what I'm doing, I'm, I have scripts, I have a lot of automation, so it actually takes me less time to do the same amount of work for things. Right. Um, but a lot of the time, it's just a couple back and forth, an email of like kind of a rough spec, not like, you know, full-on technical spe specifications you hear about from waterfall but like you know what are we doing what's this what's this going to encompass how does it integrate with other things and then typically i'll get on the phone with them for an hour or so you know and kind of chat through it and i'm basically looking for like 
is this something I'm interested in and something I could build for them? You know, if it's like a Facebook clone, I probably will decline to be like, I, I'm just not interested in it. I'm not going to devote my time to it. But if it's like as a technical idea, it could work and I'm interested, then I kind of do a little bit of vetting on the business. Like, is this is this company going to be able to pay me like in cash? Are they going to be around in six months? Is it you know, is this guy going to be a good person to work with or is it hard to get a hold of him? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, I've heard someone describe it. It's like a courtship. Like you're, you're going to be dating this client for, you know, however long it's going to be. And you want to kind of do as much of it up front just so there's no surprises down the line. Right. Okay, um, so if you're listening to this podcast, you need to rewind the section where Eric starts talking and listen to it again, because this is almost a perfect distillation of what I do, but I wouldn't be able to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I mean it's we we talk about that and then I mean eventually it gets to a point where they're like yeah like let's move forward and I have time and you know stars line all that stuff and basically I have two contracts I send over um, I got this idea from Obi Fernandez I think he's selling his contract but I got mine done separately um, one's called the master services agreement it's like 10 pages of legal jargon but it's kind of a pretty much pretty fair and balanced cover your ass on both sides of it um it includes an nda and you know all that all the fun stuff that you have to do but then i have a second contract which is called a statement of work it's roughly two pages and it's it's some legal jargon but it's actually normal text i guess like it's you know you can read it and know what you're talking about um and the way it is is the master services agreements like you know, if you're going to work with me this is my like it's a terms of service in a way mm-hmm. the statement of work is like for project x we are going to try to do this here's our budget here's our timeline um you know here's uh we're going to use these libraries that have these licenses these things need to be bought and it's basically a way to make sure that we're all on the same page and let me, let me you know, jump in here just one sec um because i, I want to pay something forward here chuck already knows what this is i think um i use a a contract that's based on a creative commons contract and i believe chuck uses the same one now too yep. Early yeah, started yeah. it. Um, that was released by a company called the New Leaders. Again, that's the New Leaders. I, I think that they're probably at newleaders.com or the newleaders.com. Google them. Anyway, go find their website. And then once you find their website, Google through their website for contract because they have a very nice master services agreement that they've Creative Commons and they're cool with anyone coming along and using it for their business. You might have to tweak it a little bit if you don't live in California, but uh, it's pretty darn thorough. Now, while I've never had it admitted by a lawyer, as I said, it's pretty thorough. So uh, just just to uh, jump in on this a little bit, uh, I do use the same agreement. Um, I did modify it so that uh, you know it's you'll, you'll go to court in Utah instead of in California. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I did is I actually sent it to my attorney and had him look over it. And uh, he he came back and he said, "Yeah, this is this is great. It covers everything that you need it to cover." Well, um, thank you. I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> change anything on it. Um, you know, and, and basically, yeah. And so, you know, I was just like, here are the couple of questions I have about it. And yeah, he was like, yeah, it's all good. So so I, I was slightly more, I guess, risky there in that I actually took on faith that these guys had vetted it thoroughly enough. So rock on. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I sent it over to him at the same time. I, I had him draw up my subcontractor agreement. So. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I, w- I was already paying him to do something else, and I said, well, you're at it. <laughs> I've actually, I actually point people who sub for me at that contract, and they just hand me the same contract. Oh, really? 
Yeah, it works, works out well enough. I, I treat my subs well enough, so it's never been an issue. Yeah, I, I didn't think it'd be a problem, but I, I just wanted something that basically said. Oh, cool. He, Jeff found it. He's got the link in the, in the chat. All right, cool. So well, I, I well, guess I'll have that for the show notes. Yeah, but the subcontractor agreement's a little bit different because it's like any material I give to you is, you know, is confidential and blah, 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 and you won't All use right. it. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it just covers it covers me the other way. But, yeah, so anyway, it, it it's worked out really well. And, uh, you know, I've had a few people ask me a couple of questions about it because it it's slanted very heavily in favor of the freelancer. Yep, I've gotten that too. But And, and so, you know, rule of thumb, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but... Uh, when it comes to signing contracts, if the client gives you a contract, the contract is going to be slated toward the client. If you give the client a contract, the contract is going to be slated toward you. Yeah. That, that That's natural. So you want to be the one giving them the contract. Duh. Um, and yeah, I've had, this, I've had some negotiation over the contents of the, my contract before as well. Um, I've only had one client who said, we really would very we would really prefer ours, and their contract was really very open and friendly in general. So I didn't have a problem with it. Yep. Um, and then I had another client where they or two actually where they had minor issues with the the IP um, sections, and they were very reasonable ones. The contract doesn't mention work for hire anywhere, I don't believe. And that's generally how a lot of people want to hire folks like us. Yeah, yeah, that same thing here. I mean, you know, there were a few provisions like, you know, I, I can put my name on it, you know, that I built it or whatever. I think there's a provision in there that says that, yeah. you know, they have to link back to you and things like that. And, you know, I yeah, they're, it's, they're like, I can't do that. I mean, one of them was I was subcontracting for them. So, you know, obviously they didn't want people coming to me. They wanted people coming to them, you know, and things like that. You know, most of it's pretty reasonable. People come to you and say, well, what about this? What about that? Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's, it's pretty good. But anyway, so at what point do you consider somebody like in the pipeline? Like, you know, I booked out six months or whatever. Is it when you have a contract in hand and a deposit or? For me, it's, I mean, I might like quote pencil them in if they're like, I gave them the contract, they haven't signed it, but they're like, yeah, we really want you. And you know, the hours are there and I kind of give them first dibs if I have someone else coming that wants that time too. But you know, until contract is signed and until I get a deposit, it's it's up for grabs. Um, most of my stuff is very long term stuff, so you know we take about a month or two ahead of time and get the contracts ready. And so it's like it's written in stone by the time the date actually rolls around. Right. And for me, I don't consider them. I don't really have a. Well, I don't want to say pipeline. I don't have a backlog. I guess I should say, because most clients, when when they come to us, they're not looking for people to work for them in the next three months or six months. They're usually looking for someone to work for them within the next month or today, basically. Right. So I I have I consider them a done deal when they've signed the contract and the deposit's in the bank. Right. It, it's that simple. That until until I have a deposit and I have it in the bank, then we're not good to go. Right. Absolutely. Jeff, you kind of the same? Yeah, pretty much the same. Yeah. So all of us take deposits in advance? Absolutely. Are you kidding? I, well, I, I made, I made I, that mistake once. Well, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if I was the one who helped cure you of that or not, but... No, it wasn't. I'm, cu- <laughs> I'm curious when... Well, no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, not the problem, but I mean, tell, I'm talking to you about deposits. I yeah. remember I talked to lots of folks about taking deposits. What I'm curious, though, is when you guys take a deposit, 
um, is your deposit against their first invoice or is it essentially an escrow until you're done doing business with them? The way I have um, Obi's contract, uh, the one he sold, and I think even the one before that, I've I've stolen, borrowed, copied, and from bought a bunch of different contracts. And so Obi's is the one I use now, but his is, uh, the way his is set up is the deposits in escrow and used as final payment or if yep. there's early termination then it's that's paid off first right that's used to pay off and then they owe a bounce or whatever eric chuck um i've done it both ways but um well geez chuck i didn't need to know that <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway uh the the deal is is now yeah i i hold it in escrow till the end because um, like I said, I took one deal where I didn't, I didn't get a large enough deposit and then I got burned. And so, yeah, now it's a, it's a substantial chunk of, of work for two or three weeks yeah. worth at least. And, uh, yeah, if, uh, if basically, if you don't have enough in your deposit to cover the, the upcoming check, then I stop working. Sure. So, yeah. Um, I don't really have a system for it. Um, most of my stuff now is long-term clients. I have one, I think it's going on three or four years straight with you know a couple gaps but um if it's a new client i basically require a deposit uh, it's either 50 percent or if it's a smaller project it might be 100 percent up front um and then let's see and then it's basically i just apply it to their next invoice um you know by the time we go through a month i typically know if they're going to pay me or not or you know how on the levels of like how good of a client they're going to be and the thing is, is even on my like long-term clients, the second they're laid on an invoice, I stop all work. So they kind of know that's there and they know pay on time or pay early. I had a couple, I had one guy who did it for, I think six months. He would actually pay me, I think a month ahead of time. Cause we, it was like kind of a fixed amount per month. He knew what it would be. Um, but I don't, I haven't done any of the in escrow. I mean, it sounds like a good idea, but I haven't had the problem of, of you know, having a lot of work out there and it not actually happening. Um, one part of it might be because in my contract, all I own all my code and I actually give the client a GPL license for it because oh. Redmine and Chili Project is GPL and because I'm I'm touching so many things in there, it'd be hard to kind of not have a GPL because of the taint of it. Um, so worst case scenario, I would, you know, get rid of the client keep their deposit as the partial payment, but I have this new GPL project I can use as like, you know, a side project or whatever and kind of use it as a promotional tool. So, I mean, I, I have that. It's not like, you know, I have to throw away the code. Yeah. That well, so, so I ask about the deposits. Uh, I do exactly that, that I take an escrow usually of about two weeks of estimated work up front. Um, or if it's a really tiny project, which is rare, that I, I just take the, the whole amount up front. I mean, it has to be usually tiny. And I, I've shockingly had a couple clients where, where one, even my, my most recent client, they said, well, we've never had anyone ask for essentially an escrow up front. And, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, right. My reaction is then, then your contractors aren't thinking clearly. <laughs> Um, but and, and yet they, they still gave me an escrow front, just not quite as big as I'd like. But at the same time, um, going back to Eric's remarks earlier about vetting clients, I, I, I often refer to to my sense of a, of a client as is spidey sense. Not that I really have a spidey sense, but you know, do do they set off alarm bells for me or not? And if I feel really comfortable with them very early on, then I'm willing to give them a little more leeway. Most of them, I'm a little bit leery, and a few of them, I'm I'm downright nervous about. So um, 
the more comfortable I am, the less concerned I am about a deposit, but I'll still want one. And the less comfortable I am, the more demanding I am that they give me a deposit. And if they're um, anxious or if they're uh, hemming and hawing, prevaricating about a deposit, then I just pass on them. And I've done that. Yeah, that that's usually a bad sign if they won't give you a deposit. I agree, usually. So anyway, um, let's go ahead and jump into the picks, unless there's something that somebody else wants to add. No? Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and go first on this one. The first pick that I have is something that I use uh, to respond to emails that are of kind of a, a, I don't want to say a generic nature, but there's something that that I can respond to in the same way over and over, maybe with a few minor tweaks. And uh, I use a program called Text Expander to uh, to handle all that. And basically what it is is you just type in a sequence of, uh, of letters, and then Text Expander will go in and immediately replace that with whatever text there is. So, um, for example, if I if I get an email from somebody saying, I would like to subcontract for you, then um, I'm trying to remember what the shortcut code is for it. But um, it's N, new sub, so N-N-E-W-S-U-B, and then it basically gives the, you know, here's what I need to know about you in order to hire you. Um, you know, I'm not taking new subcontractors right now, but I might have some work later that you can do. So, you know, this is how I handle it and things like that. And uh, it gives them the full deal. Now, sometimes they email me with some of the information that I'm asking for in that email. And so it's nice that I can just plop that in there and then just go in and delete the relevant parts um, and take care of it. So that's that's one thing. But you can also do the same thing with like new clients and stuff. So, hey, I want you to build, build this application for me. You know, you, you can have a standard response that says, you know, hi, thanks, you know, here's how I operate, here's what I need, here's, you know, here's how we're going to work, and, uh, you know, if you can get me this information, then we can move ahead. So, uh, really handy thing there. And um, the other pick that I have, it, it's not necessarily like a product or something you can go buy, but um, I've been going to the the local rec center and swimming, and uh, I have to say, just, just exercising, just making time for yourself is a big, big deal, especially as a freelancer. Um, you know, you kind of get tied up with the work you're doing and everything else, and it's really easy to, to let some of these things slide, but you really need to be taking care of yourself so that you're not out sick, so that you're not having um, other problems. And so that, you know, you can really kind of deliver the best to your client and so that you can just feel good about what you're doing. So um, anyway, those are my picks. Um, Eric, what are your picks? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have one pick and then one tip off of your thing. Okay. Exercise is good and sleep. Like, Damn it, you took mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just it's a weird thing. Like yesterday, um, just wasn't feeling good. I had to uh, basically do invoices because I do it on the first. That's how I remember. Sent out invoices, took about half an hour, and then I set up a new backup system for my laptop. So it's like 30 gigs of data that makes my laptop, you know, I can't use it. So I kicked off the backup process, and then I went and, took like a six seven hour nap you know and today i feel better like i've it's get your sleep i mean don't try to like do the all-nighters i mean what is it uh it's stream programming or agile or whatever the whole like you know 40 hour week don't don't do overtime if you do you know cut yourself slack later that's it's a big deal especially when you have to jump from dev to marketing to running your business you know and then you have a whole personal life hopefully um Kind of also same lines as Chuck. I got I set up a program called Sanebox, uh, Sanebox.com. It's a paid service, um, relatively inexpensive. But what it does is it logs into your email account and basically cleans out your inbox for you. 
Um, I don't know how it works. It's probably statistical Bayesian stuff, but it kind of categorizes email. And what I'm doing with it is I have it go into three folders. I have my inbox, which is kind of important mail. I have uh, saying later, which is kind of like what it thinks that, hey, this is, you should answer this, but you can do it later. It's not that important. And then I have one for saying news, which gets all my mailing lists, all my weekly, you know, subscription stuff, all that thing. And I've been using it for a couple of weeks now. And I think it's pretty much saved me at least an hour a day of doing email. Um, when I started, I had probably about 300 emails in like the to-do inbox. And now I'm down to like half a dozen. So it's it's a good little service. I mean, it's everyone complains about inbox zero and stuff. And this is a good way to get to it. And since it's completely automatic, you don't have to like run it, you know, on your Mac. It's on like a program that actually runs. It just connects to the server. So on my iPhone, on my iPad, on my laptop, it's just, I'm looking at the same data. So it's it's pretty neat. I recommend it. Um, give it a try. I think Jeff said he was using it a little bit. So Cool. Sounds like something I should look into. All right, Evan, what are your picks? Well, I'm kind of shafted here because I was going to say sleep, but Eric took that one. Um, I'm going to riff off Eric, though. I've been using um, Other Inbox for the past, oh, I don't know two, three years now, which sounds like it does basically the same thing as the SaneBox system, except it's been around for a while, obviously. And um, that filters a lot of the garbage out of my inbox into folders and Gmail. Um, and that's that's worked pretty well for me. Uh, so I guess while we're sort of on this basics kick of exercise, which I admit I'm utterly miserable about, getting enough sleep, which I am all too good about, um, <laughs> what... what what, so, you know, one sort of compensates for the other, sort of. Not not really, but sort of. The uh, other thing I'll add, and, and we've alluded to it last week, is don't even try to work a 40-billable-hour week. That's just crazy talk. Oh, um, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, 40, a 40-billable-hour 40 week is... is Pretty much is pretty much murder. Anything more than that, and you are just insane. Uh, I usually shoot for anywhere from twenty to thirty. Um, and and while that sounds kind of slack, when I, I might have said this last week, when I'm working, I'm heads down. I don't really do much in the way of taking breaks, other than maybe having some water, maybe getting up to go to the bathroom or grab food when I absolutely have to have it. So um, I'm usually kind of burnt out, and I end up needing a nap or sleep after I'm done working. <laughs> uh, so again, don't even try working a 40-hour billable. That's just crazy. Um, otherwise, I don't know that I really have any other picks. I already gave up the uh, the new leader's contract. That's totally a, a huge pick for me and obviously for Chuck. It's been very helpful. Yeah. Um, otherwise... I, I can't think of anything that's been that's usually critical. Well, okay, no, I'll give one more. Uh, one thing that I've been that I've been using in the past several months: um, Siri on my iPhone 4S. Um, I use it to record reminders when I'm on the go, and most of the time when Siri's not being completely insane, which is to say that the uh, that the Apple service is having problems of some sort. When it's not, which is most of the time, I can just say Siri, remind me to blah blah blah. And it will usually get it pretty close, and then I just don't have to think about it. And it's usually most helpful when I'm driving, so I don't have to worry about trying to type something down. And I don't have to worry about forgetting it, and I don't have to dial up some phone number or some craziness. It's just push a button or pick the phone up and put it next to my head and talk. Nice. Yeah, I'm jealous. I, I was 
all excited to go get an iPhone 4S when they came out. And uh, Verizon had a deal in the past where you could get a new phone every year if you were the primary line. And, and they was. changed it when they got the 4S. Yeah, and they changed it. So I went to get it, and they're like, we can't give you this. You have to wait another year. And I'm like, ah. Right. So my other productivity note would be don't switch to Verizon because I found my Verizon service to be worse than my AT&T service. Yeah. <laughs> out, out here, AT&T has been more headache than help. Verizon, I have never had a problem with. So I think right. it depends so if on you're your in, area. So if you're in Utah, pick Verizon. If you're in the eastern shore of Maryland, which I'm sure none of you are, pick AT&T. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, do you have any picks? <clears throat> yeah, I've got a, a couple. I was going to do Sanebox, but Eric did that one. So I've been using it for a couple weeks, and I think I went from, I don't know what it said, 70. I looked at it this morning, said I normally get like, 77, 78 emails in my inbox, and now I get something like seven or eight or something. So it does a pretty good job putting out newsletters and all this other junk that is generally not important, and you can train it to figure out how to do it better. Yeah, I got a junk email about freelancing newsletter or something. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I got that same junk email too. Damn it. Just <laughs> spam that guy. So the other one is uh, PreneurCast. It's a podcast episode 39 talked about how to read a book and they had Steve Cunningham on and Steve Cunningham runs a service called read it for me and basically it's like summarize or uh, biz summaries or anything like that that takes takes a book and tries to condense it into six or seven pages so what they do is take it and create a video out of it a video summary of the book and they try to boil it down to six or seven main ideas and then, uh, so they have a, a video you watch and then a workbook and a PDF you can download the books to sort of reinforce, take action on what you learn. So you reinforce your learning. So, it, but they had him on to explain how he actually goes through and reads books to get to a point where you can summarize them for other people. And so it was an interesting, interesting insight for me just to see how other people read books because I, I read a lot and it's more mental masturbation than anything else for me but um didn't i use that one last week we're we getting a trend going here maybe <laughs> I, 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 i've always enjoyed visualizing that term anyway <laughs> so uh, that's um that's another one of the picks it's a quick quick listen uh, i forget how long it is but I listened to everything on 2x speed, so I think it took like 20 minutes for me to get through or something like that, maybe. And then uh, the service read it for me. Uh, I signed up for the, the trial, but I've yet to get my username and password, so I can't say anything about read it for me specifically, but it sounds like a good idea. They've had a bunch of books that I've read or thought about reading in there. So I have to wonder if one of the th or a couple of the things that would get lost in reading essentially Cliff Notes is you don't have that when reading, reading a nonfiction book to some degree you're forming a relationship with the author and you end up missing out potentially on that and also I wonder if in trying to distill all the content down you're just getting the content but you don't get really the arguments backing it up like I said I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen the summary but it's the same I mean, part of the discussion was you have to know what you're going in for when you read the book so right I mean, you don't read, you don't read, a lot of people read nonfiction cover to cover and I do that too. But I mean, if you, if you're looking for a specific bit of advice in, I don't know, at this point, CoffeeScript came out and you want to 
figure something out about CoffeeScript. There's so much background in JavaScript behind CoffeeScript that you can skip over a lot of that stuff. And so you don't need to do page to page that and you can skim for the bits that you really need to focus on or whatever the example is, HTML5 and mobile stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we've done angle brackets for so long. We just need to figure out what the bit is that we care about for mobile. And so you dive deep into that one part. And that's part of his explanation. I mean, you don't read it cover to cover. Have an idea of what the book's about before you go in. Find a summary or create a summary by reading the first and last paragraph of every chapter and then take notes when you read. But I don't know. It's, if for nothing else, it's interesting to think about how you read nonfiction. Obviously, if you're reading something just for pleasure, fiction or biography or something, then that's a different story. But if you're actually trying to pull some nugget of knowledge out and then act on it, I, th- I think it's an interesting take on how to do it. Cool. It sounds it sounds really interesting. So Signing up. <laughs> Definitely something to look at. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I do believe we are in iTunes now. So if you go leave us a review, um, it, we, we might be able to get on the, the front page of like the technology section, which would be really cool. Um, and that, that works off of subscriptions and uh, ratings. So if you go in and rate us, leave us a comment, that would be terrific. And then um, obviously go ahead and subscribe. If you're on another device, then you can al- also subscribe to the RSS feed and uh, use it that way. And as I said last time, we're also going to try and get it into some of the other podcast directories like Stitcher and stuff. So if, if that's your uh, way of getting this stuff, then um, by all means, keep an eye out for it and we'll see if we can get it in there pretty quick here. Um, other than that, um, if you want to hire any of us, we'll have some information on the, the show notes and uh, we'll catch you next week. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs>